My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Uh, to introduce uh, just a little introduction about myself, I'm, uh, my name is Francis Basim. I'm one of the pastors here uh, with the Indian Ministry. I um, wanted to start with a question. Um, how many of you know the population of India? How many people are there? There's a hand raised, okay. 200 million? Billion? Two million? Well, well, okay, we're not there yet. The, 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 it's kind of close. Yeah, we'll have to factor that. So the, the world's population is about seven. We're closing in on eight. Um, India has 1.3 billion. Uh, so last Saturday, we returned from India, and we were there for about three weeks. And when we got there... Uh, in, in the big airport in Mumbai, uh, call, used to call it Bombay, and, and guess how many people there were at the airport? There were a billion people. <laughs> and then when we returned uh, to Hillsborough, Portland, and we were driving uh, on the way to church here, and my daughter pointed out, Dad, there's only one car on the road. Um, where's everybody else? And I said, yeah, they're all in India, you know. <laughs> yeah, so... You know, 10 years when we went there, there were more uh, motorcycles than the motorcycles outnumbered the cars. And now when we went there three weeks ago, the cars outnumbered the motorcycles. Uh, so interesting, we went to the capital city of uh, Delhi, and there were nine lanes on one side. Nine lanes. And, but there were only, marked, uh, there were only uh, lanes marked for four. And how did, how did they make nine? So they just made up the other four. So, you know, a lot of traffic. Anyway, the more the population, the more the needs, the more spiritual hunger, the more suffering, and especially, uh, particularly our Indian Christian uh, brothers and sisters there, they're going through a lot. Uh, they don't particularly like, uh, particularly like the gospel. Uh, some of my friends, people I had met who were serving in, uh, in the villages, they said, you know, this is a, this is a very hard time. Uh, they're going through suffering. Uh, and if someone shares about Jesus or you hand out a track, they're oppressed, persecuted, you know, as if that's a bad thing. That is the best news in the world. So pray for our Indian brothers and sisters. So in that context of suffering, I wanted to introduce or wanted to start with reading uh, this passage from Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. I'll read that, and then we'll dig into each verse or a couple of verses here. 
Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us? If we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death, as the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, nor, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from, the God, from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now we sang the song, How Great Is Our Love, God's Love, right? Do you ever appreciate how great God's love is for us, for you? But today we're asking the, the question, or Paul is asking the question, can anything separate us from the love of God? Uh, this is a rhetorical question. I mean, because he lists few things that have the appearance of, or uh, that appear to have the potential to separate us from God's love. And of course, the answer is no. But we'll walk through this passage and see how that, that will impact us today. But let me pray, uh, pray before we begin and look at this passage. Pray with me. God, we thank you for your wonderful word, your great love for us. If not for your love, we would be lost. We would just be without any identity. And in Christ, we have everything. And you have secured for us a future, not only in this life, but in the, in the age to come. We're secure and safe because of your love for us. And help us to see your word by your spirit. May we understand what you need us to understand. Help us to see Christ and live in Christ, live through Christ, and live for Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so recently when I was in India, my mom was uh, sharing with me about her sister. Uh, her sister, my aunt, has four children. And two of them, and they were born... They were born with uh, a complete speech and hearing impairment. And so my two cousins, uh, as they grew older, they started to become blind in their eyes. So the older cousin, he, he cannot see in one eye. The other eye is now becoming blind. More, uh, and the, the younger cousin, he cannot see in the night. He can only see during the day. And as if that's, that's not enough for her uh, trial and suffering, uh, she herself is a cancer survivor and, and many other health uh, issues uh, in her body. And, and, uh, and to top it off, uh, her husband uh, was suffering with mental illness when we went there. And when we had visited uh, the place where she lived, uh, my mom said, could you come and pray for uh, the, my uncle, he was in the hospital, and he had, a, he had a fall, and then he had a broken nose, and they had to do extensive surgery uh, from his upper jaw. And, and her life as a mother, as a wife, is just filled with trials and suffering, pain, more days of trial than not. And she's a faithful uh, disciple, a believer, 
a follower of Jesus Christ. Sometimes she feels that there's no relief in end. Now, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have probably experienced some pain and suffering and distress, right? Anyone? I have in the two years, in almost the two years of our um, life here at Sunrise, God has not spared us from suffering. So as a Christian, as, as a follower of Jesus, you probably ask this question. It's like, why me, Lord, when you're going through the suffering? Anyone? So why? Why this pain, Lord? Why this distress? Why me, Lord? And perhaps during that time you felt God was far away from you. Perhaps you felt God doesn't care for me anymore. Maybe he, uh, he's so distant that he doesn't answer your prayer anymore. And so Paul understands what we as believers go through. So he, he asks this rhetorical question, who or what can separate us? If you look at each verse displayed up there, every single verse has the first person plural. It says us or we. He's talking to the, the church in Rome, and now he addresses you know, in that way, he's now addressing us, saying, us, we, the community, the body of Christ. What can separate us from the love of God? Now, Paul himself experienced much suffering and pain and death threats and poverty. So you and I, you and I are not exempt from suffering at, as followers of Jesus Christ. If you look at verse 35, Paul lists few things. And why does he list them? He lists them because they appear to have the potential to doubt God's love for us. And the first one he lists is, the first one is trouble. And I'm going to walk us through each one of these that Paul writes here. The word, the word trouble is interpreted from the original as trouble or suffering from external circumstances. You know, what, how many of you would, you would say here that following Jesus or obeying Jesus comes very naturally to you? Anyone here? It's just so easy, right? You signed up to follow Jesus and then everything just worked out okay. No, okay. I'm, I guess I'm not the only one. Okay. <laughs> Now, one of the biggest lies in the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is this. You know, you believe in Jesus, you're going to get double blessing. Your life just going to magically transform to be the best life ever. Well, you know, one of the things that we do here is our resident evangelist, Brad Butcher, he goes uh, to India. So if you're ever interested, if you have the, the time and uh, resources, you know, go on a trip to India and you'll see how our brothers and sisters are you know, chugging along, having their eyes on Jesus, and then clinging on to the faith that Jesus has put in them. It's not easy following Jesus. So Paul understands the, the nature of the Christian life. So he asked this question, the, can trouble separate us from God's love? And Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble or suffering. Are you in trouble because you're following Jesus and doing good? The Apostle Peter says, that's a good thing. Because suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And glorify God 
in that circumstance. The next word Paul uses is calamity. The word in, uh, this word is interpreted as a set of stressful circumstances. And Paul has the end times in view. You know, perhaps these times are the end times. We do not know how long before Jesus comes back. But this is like stress. Since the time you followed Jesus, are you just having a stress-free life? Anyone? No. But Jesus says persecution and stress will come. The next word is persecution. Uh, this is a program or process to, uh, to that, that is designed to harass and oppress someone. And Paul experienced these things himself. You know, when I went to India, I spoke to uh, some brothers out there doing ministry. And they said it, it is getting even harder to do ministry. In some places it is illegal to, because they say it is you're doing conversion. And all they're doing is trying to love on people, trying to spread the message, message of the love of Jesus. So there's oppression here. Maybe there's soft oppression here, but there's a lot of oppression in the rest of the world for those who are trying to follow Jesus. And the next word Paul uses is hunger or famine or scarcity of food. You know, Paul experienced hunger. And if you're experiencing hunger, if you don't have enough on the table... Paul asked the question, are those things enough that can separate you from the love of God? We'll answer that question in the next verse. The next one he says is being destitute. This is uh, not having enough clothing or being homeless. Does homelessness remove you from the love of God? You know, the last word Paul uses is death threat. Now, Paul went, and I do not know how Paul managed to do such a vast amount of ministry. You know, we're, we're all recipients of Paul's great work today. But everywhere he went, he had death threats. People were trying to persecute him. His own people from the Jewish religion were trying to persecute him. But he asked the question, can death, the threat of death, remove you from God's love? Now, in verse 36, he sort of summarizes or encapsulates all these sufferings in one verse. He uses an Old Testament text from Psalm 44, and this is what it says in verse 36. As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. Now, the Bible uses this analogy to compare people to sheep. Have you ever seen that? He says, it feels like we're being slaughtered. It feels like we're going through a lot of suffering. And Paul felt the same way as well. It's just a way to encapsulate that this is not an easy life. It's hard. It just feels hard to follow Jesus. We're like sheep and we're trying to follow. We're following our great shepherd, Jesus Christ. You know, our great shepherd has not left us. But then let's look at the answer Paul gives in verse 37. He has asked the question, can anything separate us from God's love? Can any of this suffering, sufferings? And the answer Paul gives is, is an emphatic no. Do you see that verse 37? He says, no, the answer is nothing can separate. None of the suffering that you experience can separate you from God's love. But he goes on to say more. He says, you are a conqueror. Actually, he says, you are 
more than a conqueror. How is that? It's through Christ who loved us. You know, Paul is saying that the conquering is done not through your own strength, not through your own determination. It's done through Christ who loves you. Christ has died for you when you were still a sinner. Romans chapter 5 verse 3. The key to be a conqueror is dependence upon Christ. And one man writes that, points out that the conquering is not done through your own effort. It is actually dependence upon Christ. And it's not even our hold of him, but it is actually Jesus' hold of you. Did you hear that? It is not your hold of him, but his hold on you. That is how you emerge as a conqueror. Because Christ has done what man can never do. He has secured your salvation once and for all. Secure, not only in this life, for eternity. This is how you become a conqueror in your suffering. Here are three things to consider from an application standpoint. Suffering when viewed under God's sovereignty, under God's sovereign eye, it makes your heart soft and vulnerable, and that is a good thing. Your soul is open to receiving God's comfort and care when you go through suffering. Suffering opens uh, your soul to God's channel of love and comfort and care. You know, I have never seen anyone say, I don't want you to pray for me when they were going through difficult circumstances. No one ever refused. It opens a channel of God's warmth in your life. And two weeks ago, when we were in India, my wife's cousin's husband had passed away and we were there. And it was a difficult time and my wife said, can we go and visit this grieving family? And so I, we went there to their home, and I gathered up enough courage to say a few words of comfort. And sure enough, there was a lot of sorrow and grief and crying. And, and I pointed out to the, the grieving widow with two little children, do not, they do not know, have any idea that they had lost their dad. And I said, can I open up, uh, can I show you Second Corinthians 1? I said, do you know that? In, in the midst of all your suffering, God is a God of all comfort. That is who he is. That's his character. He's a God of all care and comfort. And I shared with them that, that our Lord Jesus was a man who was very acquainted with sorrow. He was a man of sorrow, as the Bible says, acquainted with pain and grief, and he sweat drops of blood. So if there's anyone who understands pain and grief, he understands it firsthand. And he did it not because he had any sin of his. He did it because he wanted to take your sin upon himself. It was the great transaction. He took your sin upon himself and he gave his righteousness so that you can have a free life, a right, a right standing with God. So suffering makes God's comfort palpable, tangible. Second point to consider, suffering is a great agent for your growth in holiness. Romans chapter 
5, verse 3. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. So if you want to become Christ-like, don't be ashamed of suffering. Embrace suffering. It is God's prescription for you to become more like Him. The third one, suffering is temporary. Did you hear that? Suffering is temporary. Suffering is never final. It is never permanent. Because one day, you're going to be beyond suffering. Glory is final. Glory is ultimate. God is going to take you to such a glory, you would have never known what suffering is. The Bible says that in the same chapter, Romans chapter 8, he says, For the sufferings of this time are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed one day. If you're in Jesus, one day God's going to give you a new body. And he's going to transform you. And that is not going to have any pain or sorrow or tears. Glory is waiting for you, dear friend. Child of God. Son and daughter of God. Glory. God is working everything for your good. For his glory. And that you see his glory. Face to face. In the sight of God. So suffering is not permanent. Glory is permanent. And when you step into that glory, after this short life, 70, 80, 90 years perhaps, you will enter into glory. You know, when we were younger, we used to hear, you know, someone had passed away, we would hear the phrase, they stepped into glory. You know, they did not die, they slept, and they were promoted into glory. Ever hear that phrase? They were promoted, this sister or brother, they were promoted into glory. Glory is waiting for you. So suffering for a short time. So now here, so Paul has given us the big answer. None of these sufferings can separate us from God's love. But now Paul transitions into a sort of a reasoning. How is Paul so sure that this, that he is so confident, how is he so confident that nothing can separate us from God's love. Does he, does he offer any explanation? Does he offer any reasons as to why he has come to this conclusion? One church father said, you know, Paul is not merely of the opinion. He has come to this settled conviction, this confidence. He says that I am sure that nothing can separate us from God's love. But what are the reasons that he gives? Let's look at last, the last two verses in this passage. He starts with this phrase, and I am convinced. Let me pause there and explain what that means. Uh, This phrase or these two words can be translated this way. Uh, I have been persuaded that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. You know, Paul's use of the verb in the original language, it it reveals a lot more than we, we can see in English, plain English. What he's saying is, you know, I have, been, I have been persuaded by God, but also I'm convinced that God will do something in the future. So in grammar, it's, it's the tense and voice is present perfect, or present perfect passive, sorry, perfect passive. What does that mean? It means that he, it means past action with future implications, 
Now, what does that, what does that mean in, in plain language? He means, it means that Paul went through a lot of suffering. I mean, a lot of suffering. You should read the book of Acts or 1 Corinthians. And then through all of his suffering, Paul is not convinced by himself, but Paul is persuaded by God. He has seen the God of the hand of God, that he has never, the God has never left him through all his suffering. So Paul has come to this conclusion that God has never left me in the past, and now he says, He will never leave me in the future. That's what this phrase means. You know, Paul is so certain that he wants to remove all doubts. So he begins listing these things in pairs that you could see as potential, only at the appearance of potential, that could possibly be seen as separating us from the love of God. So he starts with suffering in the first verse, in 35, now he starts with death. Look at verse 38, neither death nor life. So he starts listing these two things in pairs. He starts with death nor life. What does he mean? You know, some, some, some people have this false thinking saying, well, you're dead, we're, we have experienced death, and that's it, we're done. Paul says, no. You know why? We just sang, we're going to sing a song because Paul says, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Why is that? Because death was death with, dealt with the final blow with the death of Jesus. Death has no power on you if you're in Christ. Death has no final say. Jesus has the final say. So death cannot separate you. And it says neither life. Paul is probably referring to this present life of suffering when he says life. And he goes to the next pair. Neither, e- neither angels nor demons. So some translations have the word rulers. No government, no authority on this earth can separate you from the love of God. No one, period. Or no dark force can separate you. The next pair, neither are fears for today nor are worries for about tomorrow. None of your anxieties are worth enough to separate you from the love of God. Today or tomorrow. And then he goes to the next one. Not even the powers of hell. You know, some have described the powers as you know, the powers in the heavenly places. Either way, and I think we give too much credit to the devil. Some people say, and the devil did this, right? The devil's so strong. But if you look, read the book of Job, what does God's word say? The devil is a created being. He does everything according to God's sovereign power. He doesn't nearly have an ounce of power compared to God's power and God's love. So even that cannot separate you. In the last, two, uh, the last pair, he says, No power in the sky above or in the earth below. And so some translations, the ESV has neither height nor depth. You know, these two words were really interesting. Yeah, these are, Paul uses, these words were used in astronomy. You know, Paul is referring to, if you find out the highest celestial object on planet, above planet earth, And if that can somehow exert power in your life, that cannot separate you from God's love. Or if you find something below the earth, 
that can shake you, that can, that can separate you from God's love. So nothing has power. You know, I was reading about you know, a, few, a few weeks ago or months ago in the news. They had this picture of the black hole. Have you ever seen that? The first picture of the black hole. And I, I, and I thought, what would it look like? This black hole is so powerful that it sucks off galaxies or stars, as they say. And, you know, I never want to find out what's on the other side of the black hole. <laughs> but you know what? Even the power of this black hole cannot separate you from God's love. Nothing stands before God's love. And you hear about earthquakes today. Doesn't matter what, how powerful the earthquake is. It cannot separate you from God's love. Neither height nor depth can separate you from God's love. Now, if you thought there was something else that would separate you from God's love, so Paul includes the last part of verse 39. Indeed, nothing in all creation, unless you're out of creation, which doesn't exist, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a wonderful Promise, isn't it? Somebody say amen. amen. If you look at the whole passage, it says us, us, us. No one can separate us. And this is how community is lived. We suffer together. We love together. We rejoice together. And part of our promotion today in our foyer is if you don't have a home group, a family group, and there are so many wonderful home groups at uh, at sunrise, but we have a very good home group. I invite you to join us. And this is where real life happens. Now, at the end, Paul qualifies everything with one word or two words with the proposition, and he says, In Christ Jesus. Because if you, if you if we look, go back and read Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he started with this glorious proclamation saying, For now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the beginning of the verse. Now he ends the passage with saying, There is no one who can separate us for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your salvation is secure, permanent. Safeguarded by God himself if, when, you're in Christ Jesus. So I want to close with this invitation. If there's someone here, if there's anyone of you who doesn't know what, what, what it means by saying, what it means when Paul says, in Christ, if you do not know what that means, you do not want to leave without knowing the truth. What Paul means is saying, in Christ, you are a new creation. You're brand new. You have a new identity. Your race doesn't define you. Your socioeconomic background doesn't define you. Your skin color defines you. Jesus defines you. That's your identity. You become a new creation. But how do you get there? Jesus uses only two words in his gospel proclamation in the beginning of his ministry. He says, repent and believe. He says, if you have believed in your own self for your salvation, it is a dead end. Because the difference between all the religions of this world and true Christianity is this. 
All the religions say, do, do, and do, and give, give. Jesus says, give it up already. Declare, declare your spiritual bankruptcy today, dear friend. What does it mean by repent? Simply says, turn your mind. Turn towards Jesus. Give up self-effort, your self-dependence upon yourself, and turn to God. And believe, what does it mean? Trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Trust that he has done all the work so that you can have a right standing with God. Trust in his death and resurrection. So I invite you, dear friend, if you have not received Christ, we'll close with a prayer. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If there's any one of you who has not received Christ, I want to plead with you. Don't go away without knowing the love of God. Do not, do not refuse this great love for you. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ. Whoever, he says, whosoever believes in him shall not die, shall not perish, but have eternal life. So come if you want to receive Jesus Christ. We'll have a few prayer partners even through our singing, during our singing, but come to Jesus. Father, we thank you for this glorious gospel that we can't do anything by ourselves, but you have done the work for us and you you want us to humble and humbly accept that we're sinners before you and you will bless us and you will give us a great inheritance. We thank you for your goodness. In your mercies, in Jesus' name we pray.